This is Science Plus Story. I'm Bob Lalish. On today's show, Grimpact. It's the flip side of impact. When a scientific study has outsized negative impacts for society, like the 1998 retracted study in The Lancet linking the MMR vaccine with autism in young children. My guest today, Gemma Derrick, is helping define the concept so that science can stop Grimpact before it starts. But that's easier said than done. It is very difficult to communicate risks, and science and the way it's governed is all about weighing up different risks, and it's difficult to communicate that in the way that science is communicated at the moment. We always write papers with the limitations of this paper were, and we suggest things for further study. Public expect answers, and what they want from science is they want clear, usable answers, and science just is not structured in a way to offer that type of information. They want to know, is it safe for me to take a vaccine? Is it safe for me to turn on the TV? Is it safe for me to download 5G into a phone? And science is not about communicating a yes, no answer. It's all about yes, but, yes, but. And it's very difficult for concerned individuals to be able to weigh up the pros and benefits and come out with a clear answer or a clear direction and implement that personally. Coming up, Gemma Derrick on the four characteristics of Grimpact, whether Grimpact has gotten worse during COVID, and why the drive for impactful research itself is a driver of Grimpact. Gemma Derrick, welcome to Science Plus Story. Great to have you. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you. Let's start with a deceptively simple question. What is Grimpact? Grimpact. Grimpact is a little bit more than the idea of negative impact. And when we talk about impact, we're talking about how research has an influence on the world outside of academia. If you want to talk about academia as a separate world to society, impact is the way in which research is used to better policymaking, benefit our lives, all of these sorts of things. And Grimpact is, in its basic form, it's the opposite of that. It is impact gone wrong, impact that doesn't necessarily benefit our lives, an impact that is not necessarily orientated around the dominant discourse around impact, which is that there is a benefit that society gains from research. So Grimpact is a natural occurrence of rewarding impact informally in research assessments as much as it is associated with the benefits that the public assume that research will give them as part of the science society relationship and the investment that the public puts into research. I want to come back to that and ask you about that relationship between rewarding impact and that resulting in Grimpact, because I think a lot of people are going to be confused by that. But first, what are some examples of Grimpact? Well, in our study, we looked at three different examples of Grimpact. We looked at the measles, mumps and rubella vaccine debate, so the MMR debate, so the paper published in 2005 by Andrew Wakefield and the Lancet that assumed that there was going to be a positive correlation between getting the MMR vaccine and instances of autism developed in children. The second one is Cambridge Analytica, and Cambridge Analytica was a company that used a form of machine learning and associated with how people like things using social media, and they were using that to influence people's political choices and behavioral choices when it came to electoral systems. The 
biggest examples in our current history are the Brexit referendum in the UK, as well as the initial win by Donald Trump in the US and how it was used to fuel those movements or the populist movements. And the third one is the 2008 economic crisis where dominant heterodox uh, economics was downplayed or wasn't necessarily accepted when it came to policymaking and creating a a necessary response to the economic crisis in 2008. These are the three examples that we examine as part of our study into Grimpact. The hope is that by examining these case studies, we can identify different characteristics of Grimpact and start to define Grimpact more holistically based on these characteristics rather than creating a definition that like the definition of impact, is not necessarily open to ideas about how science affects society. So the three examples of Grimpact that I've just mentioned have overwhelming characteristics in common that we use to define Grimpact. I was going to ask, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) So these characteristics that we've identified is the first one is there's a violation of normal impact. And normal impact is basically the impact that occurs when there is a responsible interaction between science and societal organizations. An example would be the way that a hospital as a civic organization works with doctors or medical researchers to deliver effective healthcare for their patients and how that relationship is mediated. This is what we call normal impact. And if all things were going correctly, that these relationships would be moderated and governed in a responsible way where there's mutual benefits backwards and forwards and therefore by society. What happens is when you violate this normal impact, you get this thing called extraordinary impact. This was a term that was pivoted by Gunnar Sivertsen, who is a researcher at the Norwegian Institute for Innovation Research or NIFU. And he said that basically extraordinary impact happens when these relationships break down or where these relationships, these responsible relationships didn't exist in the first place. And this is a really important thing. So when these relationships and these interactions are irresponsible, break down, this is when Grimpact occurs. Let me stop you there. Yeah, so that's the first one, this violation of normal impact. So let's take the MMR Lancet paper, for example. So where is the extraordinary impact? Where's the breakdown there of the normal relationship between science and social institutions? Define that specifically for us. Sure. So one of the characteristics of impact that would explain that is the fact that the normal systems that science uses to govern itself break down. And in the 2005 paper published by Andrew Wakefield, when it was seen that that paper was not necessarily the relation of responsible research practice, there was questions around his sample size and his methodologies, that the Lancet was quick to retract the paper but at the same time that retraction didn't have the effect of stopping the grim pact from fueling a generation of anti-vaccine movements and what we see in a lot of countries across the western world which is a decrease in the adoption of vaccine for children at the ages of two which is when he said that the mmr vaccine booster is actually given when he's talking about the governance mechanism that science has 
it assumed that when you retract the paper, that the impact stops, but that wasn't the case, which meant that the scientific way of governing bad research is not necessarily sufficient to stop the impact or grimpact from happening. And then what happened as a result of that, instead of thinking up other ways in which to contain the grimpact, science was in a way on the back foot forevermore saying, well, you know, there were questions around this sample, there were questions in the practices and the methodological choices that he did, but these all fell on deaf ears because one other aspect of Grimpact, which is very important, is that it's contagious in the fact that once it is adopted by a person who has a particular political ideology, a particular outcome in mind, it's very, very difficult to change their minds and when that person communicates a certain viewpoint, it's again adopted by other peoples and it falls out of control of the individual scientist as well as within the mechanisms within science that we use to govern what is good and not so good research. Okay. So those are two characteristics of Grimpact. It escapes basically the normal mechanisms of science and the ability of science to contain things that transgress scientific practices. And then it's also contagious. What are the other two characteristics? Well, the other two is one of them is about attributing blame. There's always an attribution problem in impact. Who are we to reward? What type of practices do we incentivize to create good and beneficial impact for society? The opposite problem is true for Grimpact in the fact that when it becomes out of control, when it's getting into different hands, one of the things that fuel this is the rise of social media and the access to knowledge on different levels by all members of society, which is a good thing, but it means that alternative facts can be communicated in a way of fueling that contagion. It's very difficult for us to attribute blame to the individual scientist. Whereas for impact, we like to attribute reward to an individual scientist or an individual paper. For Grimpact, it's very difficult. For many situations, the Andrew Wakefield case perhaps is an exception, but for many situations, the researcher themselves did not intend for their research or could not envisage their research being used for anything other than a societal benefit. And therefore, there's always a question about how much of the Grimpact can we attribute or blame on that individual science, that scientific research. What that doesn't take into account, of course, is that scientist is working within an environment that is blind to Grimpact occurring in its natural governance mechanisms, as well as how we reward research, which make it very difficult to say to a scientist, well, did you know that your research created a whole vaccine hesitators movement and therefore that's your fault? It's very difficult when the entire research evaluation system is focused on reward and benefits. And the third characteristic of Grimpact is this transition between the boundaries of academic conduct and entrepreneurial conduct. And when I'm talking about entrepreneurial conduct, I'm taking the extremes here. I'm referring to things like greed and fame. Again, the Andrew Wakefield case is an interesting one of this, because whereas academic conduct, traditionally speaking and conventionally speaking, sees a researcher as taking a humble, backward, disinterested stance towards their research performance as well as their research benefit on society, when we see individual researchers using the Grimpact to 
benefit themselves personally, to push a particular political agenda. We see this transition between what is considered good academic conduct and what is seen as more entrepreneurial conduct. And you can also see those in the other two cases too. Cambridge Analytica was very much about pushing a particular ideological stance, which is not necessarily under the control or within the even frame of reference of the individual research. But we see that all of a sudden this research is being used for entrepreneurial ends and that dictates the use of entrepreneurial behaviour as well, which are not necessarily compliant with an idea of traditional academic conduct. Are you saying that if a researcher is ambitious about impact, that researcher is also running the risk of Grimpact? Or is that too simplistic? No, I don't think it's simplistic at all. I think that there are boundaries to research evidence as much as there are boundaries to Grimpact impact. In that way, researchers pride themselves in a type of organized skepticism or disinterestedness to take the original norms of science. And the fact that a researcher is seen to have the capability of filtering evidence in different ways and being able to change their mind. Science is a system that allows people to change their mind and change their perspective when new information comes in that provides an alternative perspective. Where we see that the Grimpact occurring is when they are unable to change their mind or their ideological stance in the face of new evidence. And this is where it is. So yes, they do run the risk of Grimpact, but only if they transgress that boundary between academic conduct and the ability to filter evidence and change their mind and perhaps even you know change their paradigm if it's the opportunity to possess themselves towards an entrepreneurial conduct which is I'm going to pursue this this agenda because it benefits me individually or it benefits my company these sorts of things so there's always a risk but I think that it's not too simplistic to say that there's a risk. It is too simplistic to say that if a scientist is ambitious and entrepreneurial, then that necessarily automatically results in Grimpact. And just to be clear, within Grimpact, because the of the three examples, the last one relating to the 2008 financial meltdown and the way you put it was belief in economists and economic dominant economic theory, we don't have to have overt research misconduct to have Grimpact, correct? No, no, that's not right. a okay. necessary condition, no. Okay, all right. So when you first introduced this idea with Paul Benoworth, you argued that Grimpact happens not in spite of the current drive for impactful research, but because of it. So yeah. we touched on that in, as you were introducing the concept. Talk more about that. What did you mean by that? How does that happen? Well, Grimpact and the blindness of, towards impact is a cultural phenomenon. It's a product of the culture that we that research is created in at the moment. I'm going to take a very UK-specific example here just for the sake of discussion where in the UK we have a periodic assessment called the research excellence framework which part of its assessment has a criterion specifically associated with the benefits that society accrue from research investment and we call this criterion impact for want of a better word and yet what we see on the ground level is that Research culture is driven by evaluation. And I think we can say that globally as well as specifically in the UK context. 
But the competition to do well in these evaluations means that certain behaviors, choices, and actions are adopted on the individual level, the research group level, and the organizational level. What this means is that when we adopt these behaviors, we are going in pursuit of a criterion and performing well, boosting our competitivity, but not necessarily sensitive to what that pursuit of that criterion entails, whether that's an unintended consequence from that pursuit or the end point. And what we also see there is that the definition of what constitutes impact in the UK sense, we see this in the US sense with the definitions in play there, is that there is a bias towards positive benefits. There is a bias towards impact that has a positive outcome. It has a benefit. It makes our life better. And we all, that kind of assumes that all research, when it is conducted, moves towards that positive benefit. In fact, that's not necessarily the case. And yet, because we are driven by criteria, not necessarily towards a larger ideal about what our relationship with society should be as researchers, we are blind to these eventualities. And because we don't include them or we don't capture information about them, it means that Grimpact itself can perpetuate as well. So yeah, I think Grimpact is very much a product of the culture in which research is produced and more importantly, in the culture in which it is evaluated in this current situation. So just to try to square this circle though, the culture that's producing, that's rewarding and incentivizing positive impact research that's producing in your estimation research that is is it overframed is it getting out beyond its skis and therefore is sub more vulnerable to being picked up and caught up in this dynamic of grimpact is that what's going on yeah, I would say that perhaps that the pursuit of this criterion means that certain behaviors and outcomes are going unchecked. And once they're going unchecked and they're not acknowledged, this leads to Grimpact feeding into the characteristics of being contagious, getting into the wrong hands, entrepreneurial norms, dictating behaviors, these sorts of things. So yeah, I think that a blind pursuit of impact for society's benefit means that we're not aware of how our research is having unintended and perhaps even really negative consequences on society as well. We put a lot of effort into collecting evidence around how our research, our individual research has had an impact, but we don't put the same immense amount of effort into Grimpact. More importantly, when Grimpact doesn't occur, because there's no incentive to engage in stopping Grimpact, we put our energies into pursuing impact to the detriment of stopping Grimpact from happening and playing an active role in providing an alternative voice that could perhaps, you know, halt the pursuit of Grimpact, for example. And the other thing is that the way, if you want to take a very positivist of a perspective on measurement of research outcomes, the research outcomes can be measured through different metrics, different indicators, etc. Like, well, I don't know, citations, for example. The way these metrics are set up means that by definition, they can't be negative, which means that it's not even in on our agenda to be able to pick up our research having anything other than a benefit societally or scientifically. 
So this is the implicit optimism that you've written about for research culture. It's actually reflective of implicit optimism. And we can only think about research having positive effects, not negative ones. Exactly. Right. And that's reflecting our metrics. Yeah. Yeah. And we use the term implicit optimism specifically because there is an assumption, there's not a questioning, and that type of reflection is just does not exist within the valuing of scientific research. You've said that Grimpact is more contagious than impact. Let's talk about that. Why is Grimpact inherently so contagious? Because it's a study comes out, it's covered in the press, it gets picked up in social, let's say it has positive impact. There's nothing in it that can get picked up and resonate with identity politics, for example. What are the mechanisms that are causing Grimpact to be so contagious that are not also applicable to impact? Oh, this is a really interesting question. I think there's two things. One is fear. It is easier to communicate to a wide audience that there's something that is, puts you in danger to stop it. So it's easier to perhaps not take up a vaccine <laughs> than it is to stop the effects of the vaccine from happening, if that's what you want to do. So it's easier to say, just don't do it. And it's easily communicated around there. It's out of my frame of reference, though I know there's a lot of research about health communication and the idea about communicating risks is really difficult, but communicating people to stop doing something is very easy in comparison. And the other thing I think that makes Grimpact so contagious is playing into those fears. Well, playing into those fears, there's there we have things, fortunately we have access to social media, which means that we can have access to knowledge from anyone around the world at any point in time in a huge amount. We haven't had this type of access to information and knowledge in human history before. And social media is a lot to blame, for want of a better word, for this phenomenon. What that means is that people who are very much wedded to a particular ideology, a particular point of view, a particular societal outcome, are more likely to search for information across the internet that seats their their state of being, their worldview. They're very much resistant to any information that clashes with their worldview, and they are very much into searching for specific information that will enhance their current worldview rather than challenge it. When they find that, these people usually have a lot of access to followers, different people who can download, people who have different podcasts, for example, Bob, which means they have access to a lot of people who then can carry on that information if they're sufficiently scared, if they're sufficiently motivated politically, socially, personally, on family benefits, these sorts of things. And that goes up. So therefore, that message can be communicated to an exponential amount of people. It is very difficult to communicate risks. And science and the way it's governed is all about weighing up different risks. And it's difficult to communicate that in the way that science is communicated at the moment. We always write papers with the limitations of this paper were and we suggest things for further study public expect answers and what they want from science is they want clear usable answers and science just is not structured in a way to offer that type of information they want to know is it safe for me to take a vaccine is it safe for me to turn on the tv is it safe for me to download 5g into a phone and science is not about communicating a yes no answer it's all about yes but 
yes but and it's very difficult for concerned individuals to be able to weigh up the pros and benefits and come out with a clear answer or a clear direction and implement that personally i should be clear that you came out with the uh, the concept of grim pact before covid-19 and certainly in the first couple of months there was a lot of chatter about preprints science being misused hydroxychloroquine was big in the United States and uh, was the research. What was the research? Was the research there? Was there more Grimpact or less Grimpact during this first year plus of the pandemic than you expected? Oh, goodness. That, such a, as you said, I came up with Grimpact prior to the pandemic. And one of the necessary preconditions for identifying Grimpact was that it could only be done in hindsight, ex post. So these kinds of debates are very difficult because we're still in the middle of this pandemic to identify now. That being said, we are seeing a lot of characteristics of Grimpact that we initially identified coming out in the pandemic the way that research evidence is used differently by governments across the world to implement different covid minimization strategies some countries uh, have strict lockdowns some people have some countries have no lockdowns and a lot of countries have a variation of in between it's the best way to contain the covid infection rate etc we also see it in the debate about should we wear masks shouldn't we wear masks should we wear masks even after everybody's been vaccinated you know the different ideologies and types of evidence that come out to that so we see these competing notions of evidence and the interplay between anecdotal evidence and scientific evidence every day throughout this entire pandemic in that respect it remains to be seen to what extent the pandemic is an example of impact or else just the result of bad policy making. I think we'll see it as as we get to the end of it, hopefully soon. <laughs> but yeah, we are seeing several different characteristics. And the other thing is that it's contagious, not just COVID-19 being contagious, but information and misinformation and anecdotal information versus scientific information are on the internet being perpetuated through social media channels are coming into conflict both on the individual as well as the government level when it comes to you know what type of evidence do i take into consideration when making a decision and the best example there is you know whether to close schools or whether to go into full lockdown we're talking about the risk to the individual future of of our young people versus the immediate risk to vulnerable and older generations from dying or being hospitalized by covid and we see this every day i think that perhaps we will have to wait and see whether this is the effect of grimpact or not but we can see many common characteristics in grimpact is it rare or is it common oh i mean the <laughs> the examples that you cite in the original paper they're big examples, right? They're ones that, I mean, well, certainly Cambridge Analytica and the, and the Wakefield paper everybody knows about. But I think the 2008 economic collapse, that's an, a really interesting framing. But I mean, is Grimpact happening a lot or is it confined to a handful of big cases and it's not really something that the average researcher should worry about? Well, the first thing first is I hope it's rare. But the second thing to keep in mind is I don't think Grimpact is a binary variable. It doesn't happen or it doesn't happen. And as you said in the paper, we chose and we purposely chose specific big examples because we knew that we could backtrack. There would be a lot of information about it and methodological choices meant that we could make more meaningful recommendations. 
That being said, it is possible that Grimpact happens on a scale, a devaluation scale, if you want to say the opposite of impact, where you have a valuation sale. There are many different, you know, behaviors that form towards impact. There's the outcome and science is dynamic and scientific outcomes are dynamic. Scientific valuation or societal valuation of research, research contribution is dynamic. It is something that changes over time, etc. So Grimpact doesn't happen or not. It can be a grayscale between serious Grimpact and not so serious Grimpact. I would hope that by identifying these different characteristics that we can see Grimpact as it's happening and at least in the early downstream stages we can implement some behavioural or organisational policies to mitigate its long-term effects. But yeah, I would hope it's rare but I don't necessarily think it's an if or not if situation. I think that perhaps Grimpact is a scale but the analysis that we had only looked at extreme examples so it wasn't sensitive to that scale i mean the thing about the pandemic we initially said that it could only be identified exposed but in light of the pandemic we are identifying and reevaluating these characteristics as the pandemic progresses in the way that all good science should be reevaluated reconstructed and redefined as new evidence comes to light what are some of the things that researchers can do or can they do anything to avoid Grimpact? Is it only something that we can identify and try to contain as contagious as it is after it starts? Oh, well, I think the most important thing is to be aware that it happens. The problem at the moment with the way that science reward structures exist means that if the environment, the research environment is currently blind to impact happening, which means there are no institutional or cultural, you know, methods employed or available to researchers to stop Grimpact when it's happening. So the first thing is most importantly is to be aware of it. And when it happens, I think as researchers, we need to be aware of the power of the narrative in the same way that we are use the power of the narrative to communicate how valuable our research is towards impact. We can use the same narrative towards minimizing Grimpact. And in the example that you just spoke about, it could be that you will do the research, but the way in which you coordinate the results or communicate the results takes into account, you know, there are some benefits to some things, there are alternatives to whether we close the factories or not. And I think researchers need to be aware of their own power in constructing an, a narrative towards responsible research interactions and weighing up this risk and being able to provide a narrative that supplants the idea that risk is a difficult balance towards creating a firm line or creating some benefit from the research, even though it might lead to negative outcomes. And I guess the other thing, thinking from the top of my head, is that Grimpact to whom? I mean, there might be disadvantages on the individual level of research being occurred, but that actually might have advantages on, you know, a meso level for an organisational level or a national level. So I think that we need to be aware that Grimpact doesn't necessarily occur in the absence of impact and vice versa, but that if we can engage ourselves in the narrative and be responsible in the way that we communicate results, as well as be responsible in how we communicate our results to a wider non-scientific audience, we can perhaps push our research towards having a greater benefit that outweighs the impact of our research. Why hasn't this concept gotten more traction? 
Is that, oh, is that the co- oh yeah, because it's difficult to measure, Bob. <laughs> because it's really complex. No, I think two things. I think that one thing, culturally speaking, there's a rush in research to measure research and outcomes to research. And as I said, the metrics used to measure research, both scientifically and societally, are not constructed in a way that makes them that allows them to be expressed in negative numbers. So in the current tools that we have, it hasn't been on our spectrum <laughs> at all when our spectrum starts at zero. So that that's one thing. And the second thing it is, it is an extremely thorny issue and it is something that changes. As you said, quite rightly, we started this paper and this project before the pandemic started. And I can tell you we're reevaluating everything day by day as things progress in the pandemic which means that you have to do it because you love it because it doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon why hasn't it been done because it's very difficult and because we race to measure things in positive values and we also want to talk about research as having a benefit on society we don't necessarily want to hear the Grimpact stories, because that will somehow devalue research. And more importantly, from the research culture's perspective, it will perhaps afraid that it will be used to devalue the contribution research has society and as a tool to decrease the amount of public investment we have in society in research. And no one wants that, least of all me. So it's a touchy subject that I guess has its own impacts and Grimpacts that need to be managed responsibly. Have other researchers said to you, you really shouldn't be doing this research, it's a dangerous idea, or it's dangerous for science? (laughs) No, I'm very fortunate to be in a field, meta-research, that is quite used to reflecting on its own practices and the impacts that we have on our own practices. So amongst my colleagues, no, I haven't been told that. Whether somebody who is working in the medical field who wants to, you know, at a level of fame equivalent to Andrew Wakefield, they might not like this research. But I would like my research to have a benefit in society. And if that means I need to highlight the Grimpacts, then in order to make it more aware of its occurrence, then that's what I have to do as a researcher. I have a relationship. I have a societal contract. So, Where do you go with this next? Well, the next thing is that we have a special edition of research evaluation being dedicated to in tribute to Professor Paul Benneworth, who was a co-author of this paper and a dear friend and mentor to me. And the Grimpack paper will be included in that special edition. The next part, I think, from my perspective on a national level, we've just finished preparations for REF 2021. And that included a preparation of submissions to the impact criterion, which is 25% of the overall assessment. And I would like, even though these these case studies are examples of impact, not grimpact, and it, but I would hope that the assessment of impact and the inclusion criteria for the REF would perhaps be more open and less blind to the possibility of grimpact in further iterations of the research excellence framework here in the UK. Right. I was going to ask, REF refers to research excellence framework. Research excellence framework, yes. <laughs> How important is that in the UK for those who aren't familiar with it? Oh, goodness. It is. We have a dual funding model here in the UK for higher education 
or universities in the UK. And a large proportion of that funding comes from the outcomes of this research assessment exercise. So I think somebody estimated something like £14 billion worth of funding is allocated to universities around the UK, dependent on the outcomes of the REF. So this is what I was talking about, feeling a culture of competition. It is within a university's best interest to perform as well as possible in this exercise in order to gain a bigger amount of funding, central funding or UR funding for its research exercises between now and whenever the next REF is. It's usually a six to eight year period. So it's a huge amount of funding and it means a lot to the university. So this is what we're saying when we are blind to Grimpact and in pursuit of a criterion, it means that Grimpact is left to perpetuate in the spaces that we are not aware of or are not within our perspective at the time. Anything else that you wanted to talk about? Oh, not, I don't know, other than to keep in touch. Grimpact science, like Grimpact, is dynamic and ever changing. So I'm hoping that this idea will not only cause some meaningful impact societally, but also that it will encourage other researchers to grapple with this concept because it is quite difficult and come up with new perspectives. I think the more that we investigate how Grimpact occurs, perpetuates the types of behaviours that it results in, as well as the types of behaviours that cause in, the more prepared we will be as a research culture to mitigate its effects in the future. And as a result, you know, promote the wonderful things that research does for society. And I think the last year is definitely an example of that. When research comes together, it can create amazing things. Absolutely. Yeah. Jim and Derek, congratulations. It's a great concept. Good luck with it going forward. And thanks for talking with us. Thanks so much, Rob. Thank you. You can find show notes for my chat with Gemma, a transcript and more at our website, scienceplusstory.com slash podcast. If you like the episode, please rate or review us and tell a friend. And if you have a suggestion for a future guest or topics, email me at bob at scienceplusstory.com. Resonate Recordings produces Science Plus Story. Mikhail Poro composed the theme music. I'm Bob Lalish. Thanks for listening.